had to uh, I had to hack the mainframe. Dang, man. Yeah, you got to do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. You got to do that sometimes. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, I had an amazing experience yesterday. <laughs> Tell us. Uh, yes. I went and visited a parishioner so old. This ancient dude from my parish. Like 50? <laughs> <laughs> no, check this out. Even older. Ugh. That's Gross. crazy, dude. Yeah. No way, man. <laughs> that was really good, man. <laughs> Get this. It's like... And I, so I went in to visit him in his nursing home and it turned out he, he just has like, um, well, he has an illness. So I went in to visit him and anoint him. And from the time that I sat down in his room until the time that I left, which is, I don't know, I was probably there for an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Unprovoked. Didn't ask him a single question. Just sat down and he talked to me. I, he's probably 85, something like that. So, I mean, he's lived. He may be in the 90s. He is, wow, he's old. But he talked to me straight for about an hour and a half about his wife who has passed away. Mm. And I guess she passed away a couple of years ago. And no joke, like start to finish the entire time, he was just like amazed by himself speaking about his wife and you could see the fondness that like just how much he missed her and how much he honestly loved her. Um, and she's been, I mean, she's been dead for two years maybe. And she had died in, in the same nursing home. And, um, when she was in there, he would come and visit her every single day. Like all the nurses, uh, he told me, yeah, they said I broke a record cause I came in and and I would see her every day and they could like set their clocks to him coming in and visiting her. And it, I mean, it just sounded like, honestly, like one of those old school, like World War II type dudes. He was a Marine and uh, that's just kind of how I pictured it. But he talked to me for an hour and a half straight about how beautiful his wife was, how much he missed her and how much he loved her. Unprovoked, <laughs> didn't didn't ask anything about it. She's been gone for two years, and he's clear. She was clearly on the forefront of his mind and forefront of his heart. And I mean, he, there was no end of stories that he would tell about his wife. And I guess I was just amazed because you know I'm I'm just a young buck, and you work with a lot of young folks who are getting into marriage, and a lot of folks who have been married for a, you know a decent amount of time. But they had been married for like 60 years. Mm. And I guess I don't know if I've ever seen somebody who had been in a committed relationship of love for so long that was also so like deeply in love with the other person as well. Um, and you could just see like in his face, like he was longing to be with her again, really, truly. Um, he seemed like a very, very good man, but... 
the question just came for me because, again, I don't know if I've ever seen it for for that long of a period of time where there's both the commitment, the choice of love, but then also like the natural affinity, the natural affection to love combined together. Um, and it just made me think like, how, how is that possible? How can you grow to love somebody so completely like that, that everybody that comes in, that's all you want to talk about. That's like the only person you think about. And that's the the person you long for and miss and, and think about all the time. Like, how do you live a life that way? Uh, that you can grow that deeply in love with somebody. Um, so it was, I mean, it was an incredibly beautiful experience and the guy, you could tell how loving the guy was. Um, he was just, he loved his family, loved his son, but man, like that love that he had for his wife had also changed him into being this like deeply loving person and all the nurses as well. You know, it's, he's one of those guys that everyone around him is like, this dude is incredible. And he starts to change and shape all these other people around him. Um, but I had just never seen like a a romantic love quite like that before. Um, and it's powerful seeing it from an old guy, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it was passionate, but different passionate than, you know, like the passion of, of a young person. Um, yeah, I guess it was, it was a new thing that I had never seen before. And I was, I was kind of blown away to be honest. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever encountered ancient loves like that before. Ancient loves. It's crazy, man. Wow. Uh, it reminds me of something you said a long time ago about your parents and their marriage, how they, if there was some kind of like family deal that was, they were struggling with, they would focus on not the problem with the kid or, or whatever, but their own relationship. And if they got on the same page and loving each other, then the other problems seem to go away or not go away, but get resolved they they had the wherewithal to deal with it because their marriage was first you know and then all the responsibilities that came with it flowed out of a love um like there was a reason i guess that's how i interpreted it when you said it but it kind of reminds me of, of priesthood too because it's also a structure of committed love and there are a lot of responsibilities attendant with being a priest um people being needy and such for what we have um you can get bogged down in like the responsibilities and fall out of love with God, basically. Like the the whole reason you became a priest is because you were in love with, with God and particularly the, the sacraments and the, the way you encounter him as a priest. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a simple thing, but if you are in love, you can deal with a lot. But if you're not, then the slightest inconvenience is easy to resent. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Have you you ever seen anything like that, Rob? Um, describe like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I relate to it. I, you know, nothing is coming to mind exactly like that experience, but I think of, I, I honestly have thought of, yeah, just like people in my own life, um, you know, 
my grandma or um the i mean this this happens uh, this has been pretty frequent really across the board of experiencing this but they'll talk and like my grandpa has been gone like 20 years or so um but it's always like very very beautiful when like my grandma talks about him and like there's just still a relationship there you can tell um and it's maybe simpler like you know and that's that's a different scenario i'm trying to think i've never like had that encounter with someone that I like maybe didn't know before and then just going in and like having that type of uh, like experience in one setting. But that's kind of how I heard it was. And that reality I actually have seen present a lot. And a, a lot of parishioners um, oftentimes a little bit older um, that have lost a spouse where they just live into this reality of like that relationship is not over um but it's not it's not a fake thing at at all it's very real um it's similar to we've probably talked about this in the podcast but i think c.s lewis makes that point in a grief observed is that like one of the things he had to wrestle with and come to terms with after his wife died was that she was still real and like not just in his memory and imagination and w- yeah. the grace there, and it was like a hard-earned grace, was that the relationship with her was still real, but she wasn't his just to manipulate or just to remember just how she wanted. Or yeah, he wanted. and didn't he, wasn't his um, like own natural faculties of remembering her fading? Right, and he was losing, he was losing all of that, like her, how her voice sounded. How, that's how I, I don't know if he said that explicitly, mm-hmm. um, but that's exactly, I think that's the exact point that he he makes was so she exists on a fading. different plane not mm-hmm. that's like out of his control yep yep so he yeah that's exactly it he can't control her nor the reality of her mm-hmm. in that um yeah. anyway that's what i was thinking of that, that was scrambled uh there um it, it just about that experience in general there was a guy in my parish who um i did his wife's funeral and they had been She'd been struggling for a long time, losing her memory and physically pretty uh, disabled. And he just the way he attended to her was pretty amazing. And he was getting weaker um, as well in the time that I was at the parish. He had been working and um, he was actually at a funeral home. So I'd see him a lot uh, like in his work capacity. And he was slowly not able to do that anymore. And he, um, but he was still able to take care of his wife even though he needed taken care of it was just a, a beautiful example of that kind of service uh at the end of life living out the commitment till death do us part and finally she died in bed next to him one morning just waking up and there she was gone and he was really really sad um it was it was pretty awe-inspiring to bear witness to it like it wasn't like he was heaving sobbing but you just looked at him and he's like wow man he's just what a profound death you know cross to bear in marriage that you put yourself so deeply um next to this person you know you become one with them that your life is kind of almost incomprehensible without them um but how did yeah he was so in love with her to the end, I remember my grandpa, I wasn't, I wasn't in the country when my grandfather had his stroke that uh, finally killed him, but 
he was still a little bit coherent in the hospital when they'd taken him to the uh, emergency room and the parish priest came and anointed him and my grandma was just trying to get him to keep talking because he was slipping away and she said ed do you love me and he just said completely and that was the last word he said Mm. which um is sad but beautiful wow yeah he was in love with my grandma big time they were married over 60 years Hmm. big time (laughs) he was big time in love with her yeah Yeah. (laughs) wow dude that's yeah, it a, almost... Oh, go, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Well, it's such a cool last word. I know. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I hope I say something epic like that before I, I die. Not yeah. like, not like. can you set my legs akimbo like Father Oaks? <laughs> 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 I don't know if that was the last words he said, but somebody was LOLing about that because his siblings were there when he was dying in St. Louis. And he was uncomfortable, I guess, and he wasn't able to say much. And he said, set my legs akimbo. And they literally had to look it up online, what that meant. <laughs> and it meant like one leg over the other. That's perfect. Yeah. That is perfect. Oh, man. Also epic, but in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Very him. Very Rob, him. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? Uh, what was I going to say? It'll come, it'll come to me. Um, shoot. I don't know. Say something, I'll think of it. Yeah, the akimbo got me. <laughs> the akimbo, yeah. I well, kind just, of a, go ahead. Um, damn, I'm cutting everybody off today. I I will say this is difficult. It is this is the difficult part about casting not in person. Mm-hmm. Is you can't pick up body language. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm mad right now. And so you don't. Dang it! I'm so estoy frustrado. Um, especially when somebody's done making a point. That's what I was. Th- I I thought about that the other day. You ha- you have to verbally indicate that you're finished making a point. Do you want to do like over? Like tra- this transmission is over. Over. <laughs> <laughs> over. Ch- um, I have to say ch- after. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, with all this in mind, um, well, so the personal, the big personal takeaway was, I have experienced, I I, I have experienced invitations to choose to love in the committed relationship of priesthood that isn't accompanied by the natural affection to give myself in love. Hmm. Um, And I've also experienced times where like the natural affection that I have for people or for different things in priesthood just like allows me to freely give myself away that it's almost like there's no burden. There's no like sacrifice to love in this way. So I've, I've had, I've had the natural affection there and then I've had the opportunity to like choose when I don't feel like it essentially. And I guess in this guy, I saw something like the combination of the two, like this is a life lived where he's chosen to love and they, they chose to enter into like the great gift of, of, of marriage. But I mean, it's also a great challenge of marriage and, and also what accompanied him was this like real true, like in loveness. Like you could see he was still, the love that he had for his wife was living in him. It was, it was moving him. Even as he spoke, you could like see him interiorly come alive from this love. So it wasn't anything fake or stagnant. And it wasn't just an act of the will where he was like just choosing to love. But in this guy, there was like this beautiful combination of the two. And 
it was inspiring in that way because although we, we, I have a different vocation, secondary vocation is like, I believe I'm called to be like that when I'm an old, old dude. Like I pray that I can talk about my, I guess. Yeah. I pray I can talk about the priesthood that way. Hmm. That would be awesome. Well, I would you, love to. Have do you ever that. met a priest like that? Oh man. I'm That's trying a to good think. question. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I we just so. had a, yeah. we had a priest die here in Atlanta, 65 years a priest. And he just died a couple of weeks ago. And he was a priest these last weeks that he's been he's been dead are the first weeks ever that the Archdiocese of Atlanta has existed without him, mm-hmm. not as a priest. He's been a priest since the existence of the diocese here. Wow. Um, he was a priest before 50-year-olds were even alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was, he, the way he would talk about the priesthood, yeah, similar. Very, very similar. So he, shut know. this down if if you want to, Mike. This is what I was saying earlier. Um, but the, I don't know. There's something you have to wrestle with there of just the necessity of experience in in that type of love. or like I would almost call that like that type of being at that point in a mm-hmm. guy's life. Um, and I, the image, and I don't know where this came from, but like the image that came to me was from the movie... Uh, what's it called? Hacksaw Ridge. Um, and there's a part like where the new guys get there and like the main character, he's the new medic. And like they, in a sense, go into camp with the guys that have already fought up on the ridge. And some of the guys are totally shell-shocked from, from the ridge. But then some of the guys like still really kind of have their bearings about them. But there's just this such like marked difference in them after having experienced that, at least how the movie portrays it. Um, and I don't know, I've thought about that a lot of just like there, there is something that, and there's like a capacity or a growth of like the heart or the soul or the being or whatever you call it that can only be like, can only be present if like you're actually capable of it. You can't fake that. It's just like this, this way of how you are and who you are. And so I don't know. I mean, for a guy like that, it sounds, this is so weak because it doesn't like get maybe to the heart of your question, but it's like, just like the day in day out, man of like, and then all of a sudden it's 65 years later and like, there you are able to talk like that. Um, because I know that's how I heard you describing that was like, it wasn't a, like this kind of guttural choice that he had to make that he was forcing himself to talk like this, but it also wasn't like in any way naive or like, you know, overly romantic or anything like that. It was just so authentic that it like jars the person that is able to, to see it and to witness it. But like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, that's an actual capacity that he has that isn't possible without that expansion of the heart or whatever you call it kind of day in and day out. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You can't talk like that. Um, if you haven't lived 65 years of marriage. Yeah. 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 It kind of reminds me of this. Um, did you guys meet that Jesuit priest who had, uh, 
been Jewish and became Catholic. He was an Israeli citizen. Yeah. 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 He lived in uh, Jerusalem. And when he was a teenager, he, I think he grew up in South Africa or somewhere all around the world. He was, I don't know why he traveled, what his parents did, but he became an Israeli citizen and then was an atheist, but really into history and knew that there was some uh, Russian princess like related to the czar or something like that living in Jerusalem that he wanted to meet but uh, I think it turned out that she was either dead or not able to speak anymore Uh, but somebody told him to go talk to this nun at the monastery of Mary Magdalene on the Mount of Olives and he went and spoke to her and just kind of interviewed her as a historical thing like he was writing going to write a book he was a pretty nerdy teenager he wanted to write a book about Russian royal family or something like that and this nun had known her and he would interview her about the history stuff but then he was so interested in her because he looked at her and she was physically disabled she was really elderly she was celibate all her life had no possessions and just prayed all day basically and he was blown away by the fact that this woman was way more content and joyful and at peace than he could ever imagine a person being much less a person that had so little of what he valued or what he was looking for in life. Um, and then he started asking her about why that was. And she just started talking about Christ and how much she loved him and he took care of her. And that's why he became a Catholic and now he's a priest. It's crazy. There was a, yeah. a, a similar nun, I think, in the book Painted Veil. Is that the book that Oaks had us read? Hmm. Did you read the Painted Veil? Not, but we didn't. We only had him for one year. Maybe that was in his second class. Okay. It was a book about cholera in the Far East, maybe Vietnam. And there's huh. a there's a nun in that where the guy's like, "How did you, you know, like, how do you stay faithful to God all these years?" And she said, "Well, it's kind of like a married couple that." They don't really need to talk anymore. They just kind of know what each other are thinking. So I just sit here and he just sits here and we're just with each other. You know, it's not a, not an exciting love affair of young people, but um, she said that's what I think Paul is talking about when he says the peace that passes all understanding. Is that just the knowledge of the presence of the beloved? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was powerful to see, right, because the the other was still present within him. Like, his spouse, you could tell uh, her, I don't know, more than just her memory. Um, but, like, I guess, yeah, the love that they shared, which is ultimately a gift from God, that they were open, that he was open to receiving for 65 years, that was still not only in him, it, like, it changed him so that that's, that's where he lived. That's how he lived was compelled and moved by this love. That was again, ultimately a gift from God that they were able to share in. So it wasn't something that was in the past. It was still something that was living, even though he was talking about it, like talking about memories and their honeymoon. He's from Chicago. (laughs) And so he was telling me about their honeymoon (laughs) And he said their first night together, they slept in a 
a dick um what is it mason bed what is it that's not the right word it's the name of the of the bed that pops out of a wall murphy. oh yeah murphy murphy bed. bed murphy's murphy bed. bed that's right um and so for their first night of the honeymoon they slept in a murphy's bed in chicago somewhere because like that's what they could afford and and he was saying that her her parents so his his mom and dad-in-law came over and like surprised them on the second day of their honeymoon and then they like decided to stay with them <laughs> he's like ha! hey i'm on my honeymoon here <laughs> <laughs> so he had to sleep on the floor with his father-in-law. <laughs> That's hilarious. During their honeymoon, he's just he's like cracking up about it. But yeah, it's like a past experience, and yet it's very much real and alive. Um, yeah, I guess it was like seeing the in- integration of love into a person. Um, yeah, I, I had just never seen it so completely done before um yeah well i think it gets into i'm giving this talk on friday up at the liturgical institute was it tomorrow whoa um, about divinization and sacraments sacramental worldview stuff and uh, i think it's it gets to the heart of that you know like what the, our christian anthropology that we're made in the divine image that the way into knowledge of god through christ is through the human person you know that's how he's present to us um the sacraments he's present sacramentally and um opens our eyes to the sacramental nature of everything um that god reveals himself in nature but particularly through persons and i think what i experience when i see and meet an old person who is in love like that whether with god in the priesthood or consecrated life or with their spouse and it's not a it's not a possessive love like you know now that i've lost her like my life is empty you know but that love is somehow endured into another dimension you know um because it was never about what this person does for me i was just enthralled with the beauty of their soul and the depth of like when you know a person when you really love a person you're fascinated by them and you realize there's no there's no end to what i can know about you and delight in because your your heart is infinite you know or it it has infinite depth that's there's something incommunicable about the person and that's what's what's really fascinating and i think particularly um as a young person and in our generation it sort of values experience and like accruing experience and f- traveling to different places or seeing different things. Um, and we're sort of distracted and, and not maybe as open to the wonder of being. Um, that's a peeper idea, the leisure, the basis of culture that the beginning of philosophy is wonder and in a bourgeois world, secular world closed in on itself where everything's about practical stuff and productivity and a world of total work, you're less disposed to be um, in awe of stuff. And it's not like the big things, like extraordinary things or miracles. It's the ordinary, like looking at a bird in the morning or um, a tree, you know, like Avery Dulles's conversion was after looking, I think at a cherry tree. Yeah. And just thinking about like what, 
what is this? You know, what's the meaning of all this? By the way, speaking of animals and nature, uh, the other day, two days ago, I woke up and I was praying the breviary on my balcony and there's an animal control guy down in the yard of my neighbor. And I'm like, hey, are you, what are you trying to catch? Because I was thinking maybe it was some climbing animal because there's a tree right by my balcony and I <laughs> didn't want to be there. Some possum or wolverine was going to jump on me. <laughs> um, and he said it was a coyote and he was waiting oh. for backup because he'd been chasing this coyote all morning around this the neighbor's house and through no my way. yard too. Wow. And uh, the backup guy finally got there and they caught him. And as they're dragging him away, they yell up and like, hey, and the guy's holding out his cell phone. He goes, can you come take a picture? So I go down there and take a picture of them with this huge coyote. It was the size of a large lab. Did I'd they train him? No, they just had him by the, you know, like the metal stick with the collar that you can oh, tighten. Yeah. Oh, wow. So each of them had him. So he was very much awake and not happy to be caught. But they catch and release. They bring them to the woods and, and release them. But okay, wild dude, coyotes up close. They got some chompers on them, and he was not happy. So I was like, take this picture and peace out. <laughs> but anyways, the the yeah, the depth of the human person and the sacramental world that reveals God through like God retains his invisibility. That's the thing about the sacrament and the symbol is that the invisible reality beyond this world remains invisible to us yet it becomes visible while retaining it to be redundant while retaining its invisibility like its transcendence um through ordinary things most especially people hmm. um there's this great quote i pulled it up in, in my talk outline from um, la cordera this was actually quoted by fulton sheen and the priest is not his own it's a letter la cordera wrote to it's from letters to a young man um, it's short. Let me read it. I'm of your opinion about the mountains, the sea, and the forest. They are the three great things in nature. I'm as fond of your, as yourself of them, but as old age creeps on, nature takes less hold upon us, and we feel the beauty of the saying of the Marquis de Vavanagu. <laughs> Sorry, that's a hard name. <laughs> the beauty of the saying of the Marquis. Sooner or later, we enjoy only souls. This is why we can always love and be loved. Old age withers the body, but to the soul that is not corrupted, it gives a new youth. And the moment of death is that of the blossoming of our minds. Hmm. I think that that's, that's what I hope I'm like when I'm old. Is that, yeah. you know, like we, we have this cult of youth in our culture that, oh, my body's not working anymore or I'm not. I was just, I, wa I was walking by a guy sitting on the stoop the other day. It was the middle of the day on a weekday. And he's just old guy sitting there watching people walk by and i had this little pang you know because i'm a modern american and i think like oh man that must be really hard to not be useful or to not have you know anything to do. he's just sitting there by himself but at the same time it's like no old age is beautiful like to be able to live to old age and to to have all of this maturity and knowledge of growing and your perception of what the real things are in life um, we're not made to just work, work, work. And then now that you're not useful, just get cast off. And, um, yeah, you know, like what's beautiful about your story, Mike, is that you go in and see this guy and you, you like, he's hidden away from the world, but what a wealth of wisdom and, um, love this guy is, you know? Yeah. Well, what Psalm is it that prays that you like God make you worthy of your gray hair? 
Hmm. Um, gosh, you guys know that one? Yeah. Oh, is it, is it, yeah. is it 60? Is it 60? Is it? No, is it? Shoot. Maybe it's 70. Somewhere in there. It's, it's verse, 17, verse 17. Verse 17 of the, one of the Psalms. It's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> but it's I, a beautiful I read the Bible. prayer. That's, yeah. That is, that is cool. Yeah. Hmm. What is the, uh, I was thinking of when you were talking, this is just out of curiosity, but what's the story, Baron talks us about this a lot when he talks about beauty. Is it a James Joyce novel where like there's a young man like looking at a woman who is looking at the sea? Is you guys know that story? Oh, I think that Baron yeah. talks about that. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, Baron yeah, always yeah. like he'll, and I, I can't word it like him, but it's like in a sense he is so awestruck by the beauty of the woman but the great move then is to realize like the beauty that in a sense her beauty is part of um or an experience of and what is that from do you guys know no no but i I do i do know the story that you're talking about yeah dang it all right cancel that i I was hoping one of you guys would know the story better than i did yeah yeah and that's what the challenge is is like her beauty is real and is true to her like it i guess in a sense it is hers but it's also i mean she's a steward of that beauty as well but her beauty is also not the end and so it's challenging because her beauty is truly a thing in and of itself and like yeah we can definitely acknowledge it and see it and yet also her beauty is is meant to like move us on to something that's the source of that beauty and and to to share in, into that. And so the thing that I struggle with oftentimes, and I, I'm assuming it's just like a human struggle, is, well, I mean, it's, it's the classic thing. The creature, the beauty of the creature is so beautiful. It's like, I can't get past it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that it's not the end in and of itself, um, and yet it is, it is, it, it's not the end, but it is an end. Like this is a person who is beautiful, um, as an individual in and of themselves. And yet they're not God. Like, mm. and right. I, like we, I, I know that and I can, I can say that. And yet oftentimes because the creatures, mountains, um, yeah, forests, rivers, seas, people are just so immensely beautiful um, and it's easy to get stuck on it. And, and so I guess, yeah, that's another aspect of this guy. That's, um, that he was totally in love with his wife and yet like he wasn't stuck trying to possess his wife. There was still this, there was freedom. There was immense freedom present in himself and present in clearly like this still living dynamic relationship um, this love that was present within him that he wasn't worshiping her. Like she was not God to him. I came in and he was praying the divine mercy chaplet that he was a, he was a very happy man. He was a happy man. Like he was sad that he didn't have his wife with him. Um, but his whole life wasn't like contingent on her. And yet he was totally in love with her. And like, I don't know, (laughs) that combination of I'm bound to you in love and yet I am free to love God even in our relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I 
like I guess that is that's needing to be worthy of of the gray hair is that something that I constantly am trying to learn how to do to like reach out and and to receive the things that God wants to give me and to like really enjoy them and yet also to not become a slave to them simultaneously um and here's a guy that in this relationship of love has been so transformed by the relationship that he's loving. That's kind of what I realize is like, he's loving her the way that God loves her. And, and that love that he's been invited into is not just something he does, but it's something he's become. He has been shaped by the love that God has invited him into, Hmm. which is really like the hope. I think that's what God intends in our vocations is to grow into him who is love. And so he invites us into giving ourselves in love to others, not so that we can just like do loving things, but so that we can become love. And that's where I think like Connor, that's your divinization piece is in the invitation to the Christian life and the sacramental worldview. It's not just things that we do, but it's a way of becoming God. Mm -hmm. And that's insane. Yeah. And like this dude, he didn't even like, he did not realize it whatsoever. He's like, he's still obviously very, very present and mentally aware, but like all of these things, he's just the most simple guy. Like he would have no clue that this is what he has become Hmm. or this is what he was saying. Um, yeah. And I guess I didn't realize he was saying these things either. I was just very impacted by the encounter. What's interesting, yeah, because it's like that experience for you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to name it or call it, but that experience for you is not was not found in like you know some travel excursion to find yourself or like get a spiritual experience, but just tucked away like at a nursing home in Atlanta, which is gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, man, that's really good. I was talking to a guy who's uh, like really into bodybuilding and uh, like... Was it me? <laughs> even more into bodybuilding, if you can believe it. And what? He, he, he said something like... <laughs> uh, he was a very Catholic guy and he said... Was it Bremer? I know. He's, he's into powerlifting. I would Would you call him a bodybuilder, Bremer? No, 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 no. I wouldn't no. think so. Um, he said that the human being human person is made in the image of god so obviously it's the easiest thing to make an idol out of like the body the the appearance of the of the person is to you know to make an idol out of them which i think gets to your point about how do you how do you love the person as a icon of god you know and in the particularity you know like it has to be a particular person you fall in love with not with just humanity in general but um like what's beautiful about this story, I think, is it's marriage. It's it's as ordinary as you get. Like people get married and they they fall in love. They have a family. Um, but this marriage was a sacrament uh, in that it pointed higher uh, to some invisible invisible reality, uh, and so he was able to love her while respecting her freedom. You know, even her freedom to die and leave him. Uh, because his, his love had been transfigured. It, it was particular, but um, 
transfigured to this higher universal love, which is God. And like you're saying, he's being drawn up into that and the Trinity and the whole mystery of it. While he probably couldn't uh, understand this conversation, maybe, maybe he could, but you don't need to understand theology um, in order to live it. You know, Uh, it's very ordinary. And that gratitude of like I imagine if you asked him like oh do you do you miss your wife or do you wish she, she were still here or something like that he might say yes but he also sounds like he has a maturity to to be like that would be so ungrateful <laughs> to be like it wasn't good enough I wanted I want more of of what I got from her mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like it there was a, a priest friend of mine now Bishop uh, Bartosik went on a six month sabbatical he was he's like one of the hardest working priests I've ever known. He was my uh, pastor when I was an intern at this parish in Cicero, and he just worked all the time and really hard and loved the priesthood and loved the people. But he was tired, and he took this um, great sabbatical where he lived in France for a while at a parish with a priest and uh, did a, the whole Camino from France, um, did the 30-day spiritual exercises, like just really Whoa. a great use of his sabbatical. Yeah. And when he came back, he was back in the parish. And I was like, oh, man, are you sad it's over or are you sorry to be back? And he's like, well, no. I mean, that would be so ungrateful to be like that wasn't enough. You know, and I thought, wow, that's this guy's way more mature than me. Uh, <laughs> that's so that's so real. Um, you know, to let whatever joy comes and and uh touches your life not to not to crush it by like there's a william blake poem about the butterfly landing on you you know that that's what joy is it's just it's free it you know you are free and god is free and he lends you these these joys and you don't grab them and crush them and try to possess them you let them fly away and then trust that another one's coming you know Hmm. um that's a much better way to live your life than to try to hold on to every everything yeah. that's ever given you joy or every person. Yeah, I I sort of preached on that a couple of weekends ago. Um, well, I guess I used it as a segue into a, a bigger point, but um, and I I referenced the Steinbeck short story of Mice and Men with the I don't know. Have y'all read that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The giant brutish character, Lenny, who wants to love the mice, but oh, yeah. is constantly crushing them. Well, he kills, he kills the, the one mice that he's like trying to pet and to hold. Mm. Um, Cause he's, he's just huge and he can't control his affections. And so he like, his love is, it destroys, <laughs> it destroys the thing that he's trying to love. Um, and mm. Like that's how that's how I love, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then when the thing crushes, then it also crushes me, and I'm like, "What the heck?" Huh? It's like, well, that's not. Yeah, it's meant to receive your love, but it's not meant to receive the totality of your being, of like the fullness of your love, because it's not God. It can't handle that. That was one of the Fagerberg things he mentioned in the mind blowing talk he gave a couple years ago. Was like. You know, all these things are in a sense like a stepping, they're like giant stairs, stairs that allow us to climb into heaven. And if you 
if you stay too long on one, it like it can't bear the weight of trying to be God. And so it's going to, it's going to crack and you're going to break the stair and you're going to get hurt. Um, cause you're like, it, it just can't bear that. Nothing can bear the responsibility of being God except for God. Like, yeah. And, and so how do you live, how do you move through life like that? Where you are truly enjoying and receiving like the fullness of what God has for you and yet also not getting stuck on it and not crushing it. Um, I think about this with parents and their children too. Like when the teenage years come after you've, you know, kids are, kids are very easy to love when they're really little and innocent and pretty much do what you say because they trust you, but then they grow into this mind of their own and become sort of independent and they do still need so much guidance, but, um, like how do you, how do you allow your child to grow into freedom? Um, you know, like respecting that while still, you know, you have authority as a, as a parent, but then growing into then an adult relationship with your children. I just have a feeling not being a parent myself, but that, that that's very hard because you, you have these people and they're very, very important to you. Um, but the feeling like oh, I want my family to be a certain way and my children to have a certain future and them to give me grant. And I can't tell you how many people I've so like, oh, maybe your son might have a calling to the priesthood. And they say, no, 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 I want grandkids, you know, like, yeah, but that's okay. Um, but like the way that we want our lives to be, it's kind of like crushing the butterfly, you know, like you have no idea what God has in store. And maybe you're, you know, you are called to be a grandparent and your kid is called to marriage, but that even just that way of thinking that I want them and they'll say, no, I want them. To, I, it's not for me. I want them to be happy, but it would, you know, they have an image of what they want their family life to be like. And all of that is just, a, you know, a stepping stone and your, your, your imagination's not good enough <laughs> to make your life awesome and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to let the story be written uh, for you and then live in it and, and wonder at it instead of that's the world closed in on itself. That to me is secularism is like, I want my life. I, I imagine the good life to be this, you know, and usually it's just what everybody else is doing because that's, that's how our affections are formed. Advertising and Facebook and stuff like what, what is everybody else doing? That's the good life. I want that. And so I want the two and a half kids and the cute baby pictures and the, or whatever, a bunch of money and a lot of people that think I'm great. Um, but like when you when you control every aspect or when you already have the conclusion set of like once i arrive at this i will be happy um you know that's not going to work because anyway even if you get everything you ever want the question will always be like okay now what you know but the mystery the, the great mystery of love is that it's never ending not in the sense it's not a mystery in the sense that it's dark and confusing and nobody can really ever know it it's that it's so inexhaustibly uh, true and clear and illuminated <clears throat> that no one can ever know all of it. And that's to me what the beatific vision is like. You don't, there's no exhausting this mystery. And that if you 
through some particular, <clears throat> whether it be marriage or the priesthood or the mass or whatever, when you experience it, you're tapping into something eternal. And you realize, like, I can't control this and thank God because otherwise it would just be this fleeting pleasure instead of an eternal joy. Yeah. Yeah, people out there probably think, man, if I had the best podcast on the internet, <laughs> then I'd be happy. If only Three Dogs North would just have like an eternal podcast, like it just never yeah. ends. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, fans, there's more to life than just podcasting. Okay? <laughs> and one day, believe it or not, even Three Dogs North will stop making new podcasts. Stop. Okay, that's well, too far. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we don't know what science and then is you'll be, do. And then you'll and be like, alone. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. You'll be in yeah. a nursing home talking about this podcast and how much <laughs> you loved it. And it, it's like, I can't believe it's gone. Oh, dude. That would be twisted of us. Uh, this is all an attempt for us to This is our retirement gods. episode? Yeah. Is this it? Are we done? Um, hold on. Before we riff hilariously, which I know is coming, there's no <laughs> doubt. Uh, that's like the whole the whole premise of the book Paralandra mm-hmm. that preternatural world before the fall and that preternatural creature, those, those people who live there, that's how they lived. And the temptation was to possess where the planet would just give them whatever existence just provided for them freely and incredibly well, perfectly. There's a perfect harmony. What I need is given to me. And as I'm fulfilled and satisfied, then I let it go and I move on to the next thing. Hmm. And that's how the actual planet interacts with the people themselves, which is like a manifestation of how God is constantly providing freely, but not enslaving as he provides. And the temptation that the unmanned, the devil who possesses that other character, the temptation he brings is to say, no, hold on to those things and possess them because there might be a time where God doesn't, where, where things are not provided for you, Mm -hmm. which does seem to be the ultimate temptation. Like be stuck on this and try to provide for yourself because God might not do that. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, it really does. It's an act of trust to live that way to constantly choose to put things down because I know that that's not God and that God is real and that he is going to take care of me. Like that's not something you just, I mean, maybe some people freely enter into that a little bit easier, but that's an act of trust on like a daily basis. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just thought of the book Paralandra around what, what you were talking about. Um, and it also makes me wonder, and I, I know that there needs to be like probably some theological caveats and parsing that takes place, but when, when you see people like this and the sacrament of marriage live so beautifully, it does kind of make me not balk at it, but, uh, just not question. I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but how can marriage not be forever? (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's like those people are going to be so deeply in love in heaven, which I not I know is not opposed to the doctrine of marriage that we teach. Um, yeah, that heaven is going to be like, well, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But man, you see people like this, and it's like, dang, dude, right? There, what is that love going to look like when they're in heaven? Um, 
because it's still going to be unique and personal to them as individuals. But, yeah. Random thoughts. No say. I have one cool story to share before we sign off here. Um, is that cool with you guys? It's cool. I mm-hmm. was... I went for a walk the other night with my book, Disarming Beauty by Julian Caron, which I'm reading very slowly. I have one more chapter left. But um, I first went to a coffee shop, but then there was dumb music in there and it was a really nice evening out so i took my coffee and went to the park and it was just this kind of cool warm evening and sat on a bench and it was one of those parks with like a little paved track around it big grassy space so there's people walking around all their dogs and their kids and bike rides and stuff like that and i was there for a little over an hour and this young lady sat down next to me on the bench and she was also reading and the lightning bugs came out and she was I could see out of the corner of my eye, like reaching for them because they're so easy to catch. And um, and then I noticed that she was reaching for my coffee cup, which had long been uh, finished of its coffee. But there was a bug on the lid and she was trying to keep it from going in the mouth hole <laughs> of the coffee cup. And I was like, oh, it's cool. I, I finished my coffee. And she, we were talking about the bugs for a second and how she doesn't have them where she was from. And I said, oh, where are you from? And she said, well, Egypt originally, but um, California more recently. And then she goes, I noticed your book that's written by a Catholic priest. And I was like, yeah, it is actually. And I'm, I'm a priest actually too. She's like, oh, and we get to talking. And um, she's a Coptic Christian. We talked a lot about a lot of cool stuff. She was involved in her Newman Center. Uh, she's a grad student now at U of I. Um, but had done her undergrad at a school in California where she was involved in the Newman Center. And uh, now she goes to this Coptic church, um, I think on the north side. And she's got a Protestant boyfriend who she's trying to convert to be Catholic. Um, She's very much into the sacraments and the really transcendent liturgy, the Eastern liturgy and stuff like that. And she's talking about Christianity in Egypt and how she said, in a way, I'm sad that my kids will never, and this is a 22-year-old woman, but had a, a deep maturity about her. I'm sad that my kids will never get to experience Christianity in Egypt because here it's just, it's too easy. And so people are pretty complacent, but over there, it's not. And she said her sister, who still lives there with her family, her parents and herself are over here now, but her sister's still in Egypt. She says every Christmas she calls the family on Skype and says their last goodbye and then goes to mass with her kids because there's a good chance that they'll be bombed or killed Hmm. for going to mass. And, um, I was kind of in shock. I'm like, wow, that's terrible. She goes, no, it's wonderful. She says, we're the church of the martyrs. Uh, and I immediately thought of that those 21 guys that got their heads cut off on the beach for being Christian. Were there 21? 20 um the egyptian martyrs but uh she said our blood gives the church life and she said that yeah whoa yeah it was insane <laughs> why'd you wait till the end to tell this story <laughs> well mike had his story <laughs> what dude i mean it was a sick story don't get me wrong <laughs> i re- i regret nothing <laughs> Dang. So that's that. I wrote that down in my journal the next morning. 
Wow. Get that. Good call. Mm-hmm. I told her to come, oh. by, to come by Newman. So hopefully she does. That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, they're, that's, yeah, that's powerful. And powerful she was reading stuff. a book by, I had noticed her walking around the track reading a book because right, everybody else is talking on their phones or, you know, walking their dogs, but she was walking and reading a book. And I said, what are you reading? She goes, oh, John Chrysostom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, this is the thing about being a Christian, especially a priest sometimes when you're not in priest clothes and you're just in the world, you're like, nobody, nobody gets me, you know? Who's into this? Am I just crazy? And then you meet somebody like that. And you're like, wow. Hello. We out here. Yeah, we out here, dude. Yeah, that's intense. Mm-hmm. We should, um, that should be a part. Hello. Maybe, Hello? maybe a chapter or an essay in our summer book. Hmm. How, get martyred. <laughs> just get martyred. So this summer, just get martyred. <laughs> Well, uh-oh, I think we lost Rob. Oh, did we? Dang it. I was wondering. I thought I would get a little chuckle out of that joke. Mm-hmm. I should have known. Oh, we did lose him. <laughs> <laughs> this, app hey, is, did, this app leaves something to be desired. Well, I think mine was more the internet last week. Mm-hmm. Dude, I listened to the beginning of our episode last week. Maybe 20 minutes in. Uh-huh. It was... I was straight up lolling, like, <laughs> hard, dude. I I was laughing very, very, very hard. Wow. Yeah, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. I'll probably listen to it again today, honestly. Nice. Oh, there's a text from Lob. Text from Lob. Lob. Lost you guys. Uh, also, were you able to read and access the essay that I sent? Um, I was not able to access it because I was looking really? at my phone. I had requested uh, access. I was in the uh, wrong account. But I can do it on my browser, my laptop. I'll read it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a read through. It's a bit rambly and like I, I want to refine it a little bit, but I also just wanted to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what we're going for in terms of length and style and things like that. but I think we said a thousand words, which I went over a little bit on mine. Oh, mine, it might be uh, longer than that. Hmm. Okay, right. well, just check it out. See see what's up. If you want to be the master editor, I'd be fine with that. Okay. Yeah, let me know your thoughts, though. I will definitely do that. And I have I have one about visiting nursing homes that I oh, really? have kind of outlined that I'll write. Wait, is that one of the things to do? I think it was one of the things to do. Oh, hello? Was visit a nursing home? Hey, Rob, what you're back. What the heck? I don't know. Dang. I don't know either. I don't know either. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. Well, it was good to talk to you, bros. It was. Hey, I would. I didn't hear like the last whatever you guys were talking about, but I am down to... Well, we'll see what Ireland brings and everything like that, but that is a incredible... Yours was too, Mike, sincerely, but that was an incredible story about that gal. Just the... Mm-hmm the seed of the church man the martyrs would mm-hmm. be a very cool thing to talk about next time foches all right good talk all right we'll have a good time in ireland hey, thanks it'll be great i'll pray for you guys there please do mm-hmm. wait are you gonna say top of the morning to a lot of people uh yeah 
just like let's put another shrimp on the barbie yeah <laughs> i was thinking that that's, that would be another one of those phrases great accent <laughs> new jersey <laughs> new jersey dude awesome yeah enjoy it um do you have any particular places you're going dude, to dublin i'm we're assuming? flying into dublin we have a hotel room in dublin and a car for we only have one night a hotel room and then we're just going we're just like where the winds take us just getting after it gonna get full send yeah we're gonna go we're gonna send it and we're gonna see what happens um very cool but there's a couple of things i definitely want to um to see but it is pretty unplanned i feel like this is a mike metz would like this this trip anyway so um but indeed well any good trip it's it's the opposite of our france trip which was also amazing but we had that thing yeah, planned to the minute, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how this one goes. Anyhow, two quick things. Too quick. One, I keep I keep forgetting to mention Guadalupe Roastery Coffee for the Common Good. Drink, drink it, it, have it, love it, yes. use it, and then drink New it. Evangelization. Um, yes. And what do you think the title of this episode should be? Because I wasn't taking good notes. Oh, the either there was a really good one. Mike said like towards the beginning or. Like what I can't remember the exact quote, but earn gray hair. Mm. Hmm? How much is gray hair? Or gray hair. Earn it. Earn it. Yeah, gray hair. All right, guys. Peace. Love you. Love you. See you. Bye. Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.